holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our first scripture lesson today comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 27 and 31a. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And from the book of 1 John, chapter 3, verse 1a, see what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gabriel Kahane is a singer-songwriter who lives in New York. Back in 2016, in the middle of a contentious presidential election, he found himself keenly aware of what he called the rupture in our body politic. So he bought a series of train tickets with his first departure scheduled for the morning of Wednesday, November 9th, the day after the election. On that day and for the next 13 days, he logged 9,000 miles on six trains, traveling through 31 states and having countless conversations with people he met over meals in the dining car. Most importantly, he left his cell phone at home and consumed no news during his trip except for what he heard from other passengers. Kahane writes of this experience as an antidote to the sorting that has been well documented over the last few decades, the ways that we've sorted ourselves into cultural and ideological silos so that the circles we move in, both in person and online, and the news we follow tend to reinforce our opinions and our differences. For Kahane, the train offered the complete opposite experience. To be sure, he writes, I encountered people whose politics I found abhorrent, dangerous, and destructive, but in just about every instance, there was something about the person's relationship to family and loyalty to family that I found deeply moving. That ability to connect across the, an ideological divide seemed predicated on the fact that we were quite literally breaking bread together. He continues, after a few days of the dining car routine, I began to wonder if the train might be a salve for our national wound bringing us into intimate conversation with unlikely interlocutors and allowing us to see each other as human rather than as mere containers for ideology. So in case you missed it, there was an election last week. Before, during, and after, we heard relentlessly that what matters most about this election and any election is who we vote for and which team wins. Now, whether this is uniquely fraught in our time or not, 
elections seem designed to stoke division by amping up our anxiety and our fear of the other. But Kahane's experience on those trains suggests that the most important questions to keep before us, especially following an election cycle, are not what divides us and what issues do we disagree over, but rather what connects us and what is the glue that holds our communities together? And how can we help heal our nation's wounds? Believe it or not, these are similar questions to what the author of First John was trying to answer in his letter. The people for which he wrote existed more than 2,000 years ago, but the issues they faced were not much different from our own. They were also threatened by divisive and destructive forces from within and without. In this letter, the author encourages us to consider what it is that brings the church together and holds the church together in spite of our social, political, or even theological differences. And he sums it up this way. See what love the Father has for us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. This promise is what baptism is all about. It's about our identity, about who we are and whose we are. In today's baptism and in every baptism, we proclaim that before Nell belongs to her parents, Liz and Ben, she belongs to God. This is what we mean when we say in the baptismal prayer that the waters of baptism wash away every identity except for one, child of God. In a world that tells us that our identity is formed by our families, our accomplishments, our possessions, and our politics, baptism reminds us all of that is secondary to our identity as God's beloved children. The church is built on this fundamental truth that every person is a child of God. And here at FPC, we do an amazing job of living into and out of this identity and of honoring this identity in everyone who gathers here. We do it every time we gather for worship, every time we baptize, every time we break bread together at the Lord's table with a very diverse group of people who could find many things to disagree about. First John reminds us how we are able to create this kind of community that is harder and harder to find anywhere else in our society. It's possible because we gather around this shared identity. We are called children of God, and that is what we are. But the world around us will try to convince us otherwise. 
George Saunders is a writer and a reporter who's covered many political rallies over the last decade and seen firsthand the way our culture and the media stoke division and fear of the other. He imagines inviting people to come to a baseball stadium. The invitation would say, if you're a Republican, wear red. If you're a Democrat, wear blue. So everybody would come to the stadium in their red and blue shirts, and then someone stands up and makes a fiery speech. It could be about immigration or abortion or some other contentious issue, and the speech can be pro or con. It doesn't matter. We can predict what will happen next. People will get upset. There will be incredible rancor, and there will probably be physical violence. We've seen this happening. Now, Saunders says, imagine the same people come to the stadium for a baseball game. There's no podium, there's no speech, it's just a ball game. We'd see the very same people behaving completely differently. Yes, there might be some hard feelings, depending on which team wins or loses, there will certainly be some trash talk on both sides. But it's unlikely to turn violent. Saunders says that the difference in these two scenarios is partly due to social cues and conditioning. We expect people to behave differently at a political rally than at a baseball game. But why is that? Could it be the relentless, urgent messaging that our red and blue political identities are the most important thing about us, that we must embrace this identity and elevate it above anything else? Isn't that why we don't want to talk about politics with strangers, or maybe even more so with loved ones or friends with whom we might disagree? It feels dangerous and destabilizing and fraught because right now it is. But the church, we who practice every week coming together in all our diversity and differences around a more fundamental identity, the church can set an example of how to reject that message that our political persuasions are the most important thing about us, because in the church we know they aren't. There is another identity that matters more. We are called children of God, and that is what we are. On a cold night in the 1960s, a reporter found the nonviolent activist and pastor A.J. Musty standing alone outside the White House, holding a candle in a solitary vigil do you really think you're going to change the politics of this country by standing out here alone? The reporter asked. Oh, I don't do this to change the country, Musty replied. I do this so the country won't change me. Our political identity is not the most important thing about us. It's just not. The most important thing is found in the first chapter of our sacred scriptures. God created everything, including humanity, all of humanity, which was created in God's image and called very good. We are God's beloved children. Now, please don't get me wrong. 
It is incredibly hard to live as if this identity is what matters the most. Because the things we might disagree about are important. It can be hurtful and confusing and frustrating when someone else sees an issue we care about totally differently than we do. And it is much easier to write off someone we disagree with as ignorant or uninformed or worse. It is hard to hold on to that promise that what we have in common, this identity as God's children, is enough for us to maintain a genuine point of connection and care with someone with whom we may have serious disagreements. It takes intention and practice and deep conviction that what we claim in here remains true out there. We are called children of God, and that is what we are. Dr. Becky Kennedy is a clinical psychologist who spent her career working with parents. Initially, she focused on helping parents master the model most of us learned and practiced, a behavior-first rewards and punishment framework. But she started to realize that everyone she was working with, both the parents and the kids, seemed pretty unhappy and frustrated. She started to wonder whether there might be a better approach. So using everything she knew about attachment, mindfulness, emotion regulation, and family systems theory, she created a new method. The foundational claim of this message, method, is that we are all good inside. Now this is not to excuse bad behavior or to say that anything goes. It's meant to help us distinguish the person from the behavior. Engaging with our children from the belief that they are fundamentally good, even when their outward behavior is bad, enables us to preserve and nurture a loving relationship with them while still seeking impactful change. This doesn't just apply to parents and children, but to any relationship. It's an invitation to treat every person with dignity and respect because we are indeed all good inside. This is not a psychological principle. It is a theological one. We are God's beloved children. We are good inside. Imagine a world where we treated ourselves and each other as if that were true. On September 11, 2001, when the airplanes hit the Twin Towers, hundreds of thousands of people trying to escape the chaos and danger in Lower Manhattan ran south, where they quickly discovered their only way off the island was through the water. The first mode of transportation they saw were ferry boats, which quickly started getting people across the water to safety. But after the towers fell, the fear and urgency increased exponentially especially when all the usual modes of transportation, subways and cars and trains were shut down. The ferry captains did the best they could to deal with the crush of people wanting to board their boats, but they were quickly overwhelmed. Members of the U.S. Coast Guard watched helplessly as boats were filled dangerously over capacity. And finally, they decided to do something they had never done before. They put out a call over the radio 
to all available boats to help come help with the evacuation. One Coast Guard member said, I was uncertain who was going to respond, but 15 minutes later, there were boats all across the horizon. If it floated and could get there, it was coming. Ferries, private boats, tugboats, party boats, boats of all different sizes, shapes, and forms came zooming across the water. I've worked on the water for 28 years, one captain said, and I've never seen that many boats come together at one time so fast. One radio call, and they all came. Hundreds of boats came across the water toward the city. And remember, people still had no real understanding of what had happened and what could still happen. Those boats were heading toward the danger, into the low, acrid smoke and dust that had engulfed lower Manhattan. And out of that smoke came people, covered in dust and grime and debris. They looked like zombies, one boat operator said, like zombies coming through the fog. But you knew that those were human beings. Those human beings were housewives, top executives, the elderly, children, and everyone was helping everyone else. All day long, boats went back and forth from lower Manhattan to the opposite shore, carrying as many people as they could hold. That evacuation is the largest sea evacuation in history, larger than the evacuation of Dunkirk in World War II in which 339,000 British and French soldiers were rescued over the course of nine days. On 9-11, nearly 500,000 civilians were rescued from Manhattan by boat in less than nine hours. See what love the Father has for us, that we shall be called children of God. That's what we learn in here, that that shared identity is more important than anything that distinguishes us, anything that threatens to divide us. And that is what the world out there desperately needs us to show, not just with words, not just with our votes, but with our actions. We can be the salve in our nation's wounds because we know we are good inside. We can reject the message that people who are different from us are a threat. We can see each other as human instead of mere containers for ideology. We can remember that every person we encounter is God's beloved. Knowing who we are and whose we are, may we join with God in the holy and sacred work of building community where all are called children of God, for that is what we are. Amen.